By now, you've heard about Global Poker, one of the fastest growing online card rooms available in the US and Canada today. So what's stopping you from trying it out? Global Poker is a safe and secure social poker site that uses their own patented sweepstakes model. Signing up is easy. You can use Google, Facebook, or just an email address. You can always play for free on Global Poker, but you can also buy gold coins for additional play, which will earn sweeps coins that can be redeemed for real cash to a bank account, Skrill account, or even as a gift card. Get a free 5,000 gold coins when you sign up right now at GlobalPoker.com. Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales, both on and off the felt. Hello and welcome to Poker Stories, a podcast brought to you by Card Player, the Poker Authority, and hosted by me, Julio Rodriguez. This is episode number 126, featuring three-time World Series of Poker bracelet winner Ryan Lang. The Illinois native found poker back in high school, where he was a standout junior hockey player, and he continued to play while in college, eventually turning pro and becoming Supernova Elite Online. He broke out on the live tournament circuit in 2017, with a runner-up finish in a WSOP event and a deep run in the main event. The next year, he won his first bracelet in the $1,500 bounty, and in the summer of 2021, he picked up bracelet number two during the online series. This fall, Ryan finished seventh in the WSOP Player of the Year race. He earned more than $1.2 million in combined caches, taking runner-up in both the $1,500 Monster Stack and the $50,000 Poker Players Championship while also adding his third bracelet in the $1,500 eight-game mix event. But Ryan also had to take a little heat this series, thanks to a now infamous hand he played against 50K PPC winner Dan Jungleman Cates. We talk about that hand as uh, well as a bunch of other stuff in this interview. Uh, Anyway, that's enough intro. Here is my conversation with Ryan Lang. I'm here with Ryan Lang. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Julio? Good. I'm feeling good. I feel like, um, you know, the WSOP is finally firmly in the rear view, especially with Europe done as well. And I could focus on next year, which is coming up sooner than later. Uh, Do you feel like the same? Like it's like it's like it's a never ending freight train that just keeps rolling for? Um, Not necessarily. For me, I put in most of my volume during the World Series and I take a lot of time off. Um, outside of WSOP time Um, it was I mean for me it was such a long you know tough grind that I was I mean I almost felt like hung over after it ended and then um, (laughs) you know went and spent spent some time with family um, traveled a little bit and now I'm like finally back home and feeling uh, you know normal again like uh, you know like my life is just kind of normal and calm so just finally getting out of that uh that kind of hangover feeling and and ready to uh yeah to to move on with some other stuff for now and then uh, get excited for uh next uh next may june whenever the wsop is <laughs> right it's gonna look completely different you got the uh the rio funk off you got a recharge and now it's gonna be something completely different on the strip next year yeah 
Well, we will talk about the World Series of Poker, especially because of your uh, success there, both this year and in the past. But first, I want to go back to the beginning, to uh, to the, what is this, uh, Lindenhurst, Illinois? Yeah, yep. <clears throat> That's where I grew so up. So all I, I, uh, I looked up Lindenhurst, and all I could find out about it is that it's basically Wisconsin. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's far up there on the border. Yep. Yeah, it's just uh, 10, 15 minutes from the border. Um, actually, you know, when I lived in Lindenhurst, uh, you know, and I grew up playing hockey, I played for team Wisconsin, ironically, not team Illinois. So, uh, we were actually closer to Milwaukee than we were to, uh, Chicago. My wife, uh, grew up in Racine for a few years. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's not too far. Yeah. She said her favorite days were when she would take the trip to Chicago. <laughs> she was a big fan of the big city at that point. Yeah. Um, it's, it's great. Let's see, what were you getting into in Lindenhurst? Um, I mean, mostly playing hockey. That was like, for me, that was growing up. Hockey was everything. It was, uh, it was like more important than school. Um, <clears throat> and were you I good? Grew up, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, played at the highest level of um, youth hockey. And um, yeah, it was, you know, it, it was a lot. It was very competitive from an early age and I loved it and I loved um, you know, competing, traveling uh, all around the country and up to Canada to play against uh, some of the best teams in the world. And it was uh, definitely kind of sparked my competitive spirit that certainly uh, has lived on, you know, into poker. Oh, so you were real good. I mean, as a child traveling the country is, is you know, a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was you know, played against a lot of, um, you know, now NHLers. Um, it yeah, was, show, you know, show, drop some names. Uh, played against Sid. Played against uh, Phil Kessel. Um, so the names. Ryan Ryan <laughs> Suter. Um, yeah, a few others that you know I, I I don't remember, but you know everyone was everyone playing in the in those leagues. You know we all wanted to our our goal when we were you know children when we were you know 12, 13, 14, You know we all wanted to to play in the NHL. So. Um, and it was, you know, the league that we were in, it was a realistic path for that to happen. So what was your position? Uh, I played forward, uh, center or left wing. Okay. Okay. So did you have a particularly standout game? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I was never like the leading scorer. Um, never, I was, I was always like, kind of like upper middle, um, def never the most talented player, but, um, I was very smart on the ice. So I could, you know, I could kind of like break the game down and see the ice well, but I was never like the fastest or the strongest or the, or the most talented. So, so how, uh, how did your hockey career end? Um, it ended in, uh, my senior year of high school, we lost in the state championship game, a uh, heartbreaking game. Um, my teammates at that point, we were like family, we were brothers and I knew I didn't want to pursue hockey any further. Um, I was already kind of into poker at that point. Um, athletics just didn't feel like the path for me. I didn't enjoy, you know, hitting the gym or practicing at all. I, I loved playing hockey, but it was just, I didn't enjoy the work that it took to, you know, that, that you have to put in to get really good and to go play college, to go play D1 college or juniors. And um, yeah, I mean, it just, just kind of capped off with that, uh, 
my, my senior year in high school, um, I still remember after the last game sitting, you know, hugging my teammates and, and just knowing like, this isn't what, you know, I, I don't want to pursue this any further. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a great way to end. So um, I played a little bit just for fun after high school, but competitively that's where it ended. Uh, have you played at all with any of the poker players who are into hockey? No. So actually I haven't played, I haven't been on the ice in over 10 years. And I just now in the last like week or two have started buying equipment. Um, and I'm going to, you know, that way I'm, I'm going to force myself to play hockey equipment's not cheap. Um, I've put on quite a few pounds since the last time I hit the ice. So I had to get all new equipment and um, it's going to be something that I am, uh, I'm going to try and uh, put some time and effort into uh, I think in January or February. So should be fun. I'm excited. Yes. Super cool to lace them up again. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I always liked having the stick there as a crutch for support. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I don't eat it on the ice. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned poker. So you're, you're in high school and that's where you discover the game. You're 35, right? Yeah. I'm 35 now. So moneymaker boom happens when you're a junior in high school? Yes. And we actually started playing um, before the moneymaker boom. So it started, uh, I was probably a freshman or a sophomore. And it's I started playing with hockey buddies, but we weren't playing poker. We were playing just different kinds of card games in between the sheets and some games like that. I actually, I remember the first time I played Wait, cards. what's that game? <laughs> Never so, heard that game before. In between the sheets, it's like, uh, I, I forget the rules. It's something where, like, there's a down card. or the, I mean, there's an up card and another up card. And, like, then there's a card that's in the middle. And I don't know. There's points if you're, like, in between the two cards. But if you hit the post, you have to, like, pay a triple. I don't know. It's this weird, weird game. I don't really remember the rules. I just remember uh, losing a lot playing this game. <laughs> So, You're hooked. <laughs> yeah. and, and I still remember the, the first time I played cards, actually, it was, um, so it was my buddy, uh, Marshall Kayat. We, we all slept over at his house and him and I, uh, stayed up all night. The other guys went to sleep and he taught me these games and we gambled and he took everything in my wallet, which was maybe 20, $30 and my Petco gift cards. He, he, he let me use those. Uh, he let me gamble those so he could like buy <laughs> bird food for his mom's birds or something. So he just completely cleaned me out and, uh, and I was hooked. I loved it. And then um, we actually watched the, um, the Varconi year um, on ESPN. I remember watching that and that's after we watched that, then we started introducing Hold'em into our mix of games and eventually, wow. then, the, then the moneymaker year happened, and everything blew up. And then, you know, then all of a sudden, everybody wants to play Millum and Hold'em. And then we started, you know, I would run tournaments every weekend at my house. We'd have, you know, sometimes two tables. And uh, the game was just always at my house. And, uh, yeah, I just played with all my buddies, loved it. Um, it was just super competitive, wanted to be better than everyone. And, uh, yeah, that's that's how it started. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Varconi boom. You know, I, I you know, it, looking back, that should have been a bigger, a bigger hook than it was, given you had Helmuth emceeing the final table, and then he had to shave his head because he said Varconi would never win. Um, you'd think that would have did it before MoneyMaker, but that's interesting that you were there a year early. Uh, and yeah. Okay, so you're 
you're running games in your house, so you're you're, you're playing the 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 role of the, of the the host. Yeah. How, how are the parents liking this arrangement? Um, my parents were fine with it. Um, they were a little cautious, but um, you know, they always gave me my freedom. They knew I was going to do what I wanted to do, and that if I wanted to play poker, I was going to you know, I'd go play poker somewhere else and not tell them if I really wanted to. So, um, <clears throat> my dad was kind of into it. He watched, uh, you know, he watched the moneymaker coverage. And I remember, I think he put something, he put like 30 bucks on poker stars and we were, we like played together and we tried to like run that up. And then we would play all like the Hubble free rolls and stuff like that. So he, he was into it. We would play heads up. Um, you know, we'd play heads up for, you know, whether I had to do chores and stuff or like if I got to, you know, take the weekend off. Um, so, you know, yeah, it just they didn't mind. And my, and my dad was into it. Um, but they were also, you know, fairly cautious. You know, they didn't want me to. They, I certainly don't think they wanted me to make a living out of it at first. And um, they certainly didn't want me to go down like a path of like, you know, gambling away my money or anything like that. How were you good right away, or did you like jump into the books? Um, I mean, I did. I I got a few books. Like I got Super System really early. Um, I'm assuming my dad bought that for me for my birthday or something like that. Um, <laughs> I mean, as far as like, did was like good really early. Like you know, some of these online guys, some of these guys that I know now that were like crushing poker stars when they were like 20, 21. Like no, I was not like that. I was competitive with my friends. So like in my circle of friends, I was good, but I really had no idea what I was doing. It was just competitive. And, um, you know, I would constantly be curious and try to figure out what good players were doing. I would get on poker stars and watch like the high stakes tournaments, um, watch the, you know, the big name players and, and try and see what they were doing. But um, no, I certainly didn't like have just like this natural knack for it at the start or anything like that. So you're 18, you graduate from high school. What's the plan at this point? So at this point, I am super excited to go out to Arizona State University. Um, I was going with two of my hockey buddies. We had planned to go out there. I just wanted to get away from home and travel. And like just it was, the thought of being like halfway across the country and living on my own um, was just uh, really enticing. Like I, I just wanted my freedom and independence and, um, and also nice weather. Uh, I was sick of uh, winter weather. So I went out to ASU, uh, met a couple of, uh, uh, poker playing friends out there. Actually, this is right around when Daniel Negreanu was challenging anyone in the world to heads up at any game at the win. At and, the win. That's right. Yep. I think this and is Barry like Greenstein they, took him on for a bunch. Yes. Yep. And so I posted in like a Facebook group, poker group at ASU, the same challenge up to a hundred bucks. And I wound up <laughs> being, being some poker friends that way and playing some games that I had never played before. Um, I played this, this one guy, um, his mom, uh, her name is Starla Brody. She won the mixed mm. doubles bracelet with Doyle Brunson many years ago. So one of Doyle Brunson's bracelets is in mixed doubles with Starla Brody. So her son, you know, knew a lot about poker, taught me some stuff, taught me some new games and, and we played a little bit. And he actually, 
he actually discouraged me from getting into poker. He's, he thought it was a bad idea. <laughs> obviously, I didn't listen to him. Wow, that's awesome. Starla Brody's son mm-hmm. took, took, took on the challenge. Did he win in the in the heads up challenge? <laughs> no, no. He, 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 I wound up beating him. Um, I don't remember all the games we played, but I do remember he had me. He challenged me in stud um, high low any any or stud high low regular, I guess you call it now. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing and just kind of figured it out, ran well and beat him. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, we played on and off. We, we would have games, uh, in my dorm room and, um, yeah. And I just, you know, I loved it. And then, uh, eventually found some friends that loved it as much as me. And we started skipping class to drive out to, uh, Indian casinos in, in California. We'd go to like Saquon and, um, Morongo or Morango and, um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we'd go play uh, one, two, or go play some like small tournaments. Uh, you know, we'd skip class on Thursday, drive out for the weekend, sleep in our car, go broke, come back. <laughs> just like did that, you know, repeat. And then just, you know, eventually I just like wasn't interested in school anymore. I wanted to play poker. I knew it was what I wanted to do, which, you know, at the time is just hilarious because it was clueless. But, um, but yeah, I just kind of went with it. What were you studying and uh, how far did you get before poker took over? I technically, I think my major was journalism, um, but I, I think I wound up like changing my major to undecided and, and I dropped out after one year. Well, I dropped out of ASU. So it was, it was poker all the way. Yeah. It's not, not so much that it was just poker all the way, but school wasn't for me. I wasn't enjoying it. Um, I got by, I got good grades in high school by doing, you know, the absolute minimal effort. Um, and, you know, I procrastinate uh, all my projects. I would do last minute. I wouldn't study for tests and um, tried that with college. And, but then, you know, you don't have parents to wake you up when you have a 7am class. You don't have, uh, you know, you don't have people telling you, oh, hey, you, you know, you better go study this and that. And um, yeah, it just didn't work out in college. So um I didn't like it. I wasn't interested in anything yet to where I wanted to like devote my time to. And my dad was paying for college and I felt a little bit guilty to like to be spending his money when I didn't want to be there. And I was just going to kind of screw off, play poker, party, chase girls and, uh, you know, not focus on my studies. So after a year, uh, I dropped out, went home. Uh, I took some, uh, some classes at uh, community college uh, by where my, where my parents lived at the time. And, um, and then the same thing happened. I was just uninterested. So eventually just completely dropped out. And then I was, uh, I was dealing poker and playing poker. So it was like, I would deal poker, save up a thousand bucks, go play, go broke, go back to dealing. And just did that for like a year or two until I was able to get good enough to where I could actually like build a bankroll and, and, and play full time. We have a question here. We ask, what was the worst job you had before poker? So the one job that I had aside from dealing, um, I, my dealing cards. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, yes. (laughs) dealing cards, not drugs. Um, I I only had one job and I bust weddings. Uh, my friend's dad owned a country club and, uh, you know, they would have weddings there every weekend. And I, I think I did two weeks and just quit. Um, I, had a, uh, I was, I like had a big, you know, I made maybe a couple thousand playing in my, in my home games 
and I, you know, making minimum wage, busing weddings. And I just thought, yeah, this isn't for me. So, uh, I, I lied to, to my boss at the time. I said, yeah, you know, I, I gotta go to college early. I'm heading out to Phoenix. And, um, that just wasn't the case, she, you know, and I, I didn't even like give my two weeks, you know, she's like, you don't, this isn't how you do this. You're supposed to give two weeks notice. And I was like, ah, yeah, sorry. And just left. And that was the last <laughs> real job that I had. I, I, when I dealt cards, it was for these like charity events. So it wasn't like an official job. Um, and we just worked off of tips, but, um, yeah, aside, aside from dealing, it was just that two weeks of busing weddings. And that was it. Do you remember your, your first breakthrough score? Um, yeah, it kind of depends on, on what you would call a breakthrough score. Um, I mean, I, I remember my first, the first like 10 K plus score was a big one for me. Um, I was living in a house with some friends that were all, we were all grinding. We all had the same goals and, um, we were trying to get supernova elite. So me and another buddy were trying to get supernova elite. And then there were a couple others living there who were, you know, playing some cash games. One of them was like a high stakes MTT reg who was, um, you know, kind of coaching me a little bit. And um, I remember one night, so this is uh, this is in the suburbs of Chicago, Hoffman Estates. And one night everyone went to the Blackhawks playoff game and I decided to stay home and, and just grind my sit and goes and, and add in a couple MTTs and I wound up winning an MTT. I think I had like a 4K bankroll at the time and you know trying to get supernova elite off of that bankroll i have to play super small stakes i have to play 20 tables at a time 12 hours a day it was going to be so tough and then um i wind up winning this uh mtt i don't, I don't remember what it was like it might have just been like a 10 rebuy or something like that but you know those those used to be huge back in the day and uh i won it for 10k and then i had a bankroll that allowed me to uh to chase supernova elite yeah it gave you the breathing room yep so uh, what about live poker? How much did you dip your toe at this point? So it's funny. I, you know, obviously I started with just live poker and then dealing poker gave me a lot of like, you know, kind of live ability, interest in reads. I was constantly watching people um, interested in live tells. And then I just kind of completely transitioned to online poker with the uh, Supernova Elite grind. And I probably did three years of just like almost only playing on the internet. Um, and then after year two of Supernova Elite, I decided to come back to Chicago for the Chicago Poker Classic. And it was either, it was, so I was living up in Canada at the time. This is um, post Black Friday now. And I'm up living in my grandparents' home uh, on Vancouver Island while they're down in Phoenix and just, just playing online. And I, I knew I was going to go travel to play a live tournament. It was either going to be Seoul, South Korea for like a Poker Stars event. Or I could go home to Chicago, play the Chicago Poker Classic, and see friends. So I decided to do that, and they had a uh, a car. You can win a car for player of the of the series, and they also had a a 50k prize for player of the Turbo series. And I wound up winning both player of the Turbo series and player of the series. Um, and so I scooped the car, which I took money for and the 50 K and wound up having like, you know, a, like, I don't know, hundred K ish a uh, week or so. And that was like a, Boom. you know, a, a huge, <laughs> yeah, just a, a major boost for me. And just kind of made me realize like how much, 
tougher online games were at the time and and that there's a lot of money to be made in in live poker and now after these two years of getting supernova elite and you know getting coaching and stuff from from good online players um now now like i'm actually starting to uh there's real potential to be like an actual professional poker player at this point where you know and i didn't really realize it until i kind of got back into live poker after being you know hiding behind my computer for a few years and just putting in the work and then all of a sudden i realized like wow i can actually crush the the live scene here so um yeah i started to focus more on live and and things uh went well yeah i see uh there was a Early on, there was those three straight wins at Bellagio in, yeah. a, in a span of five days. Yep. That must have yeah. been a nice, <laughs> crazy that, run. That was a blast, and it, it worked out really well. The timing was great because there was, um, I think there was like a big EPT at the time, and all the best regs, all the best like high-stakes Vegas regs were over in London or, um, I, I don't know, wherever, wherever the event was. So um, the Bellagio tournaments were fairly soft softer than usual and i you know was super confident after you know coming off of this uh you know the the week that i had in chicago and just feeling like uh all my online uh work has you know turned me into this crusher and uh yeah i just ran super well won three uh side events at the uh the wpt had a blast just you know started to build from there uh, there was uh, some lean years after that, um, at least at least live. Um, what were you getting into? Was there a point where you thought maybe you wanted to do something else? Yeah, so I went back to online poker again. So I took uh, maybe a couple year break, and then um, uh, you know a couple year break from uh, from playing online when I was you know just playing live, and then uh, got back to playing online, and then I. I started dating my, my girlfriend, uh, Nikki, who I'm still with now. And, um, money was starting to get fairly low. My live bankroll just because I was like living off of that. And I like, wasn't playing all that much and like small downswing. And all of a sudden I'm like kind of starting to sweat it. And, um, I decided I wanted to go get supernova lead again, just because it was like, you know, kind of like a guaranteed six figure year. Um, and I wound up, uh, moving down to Mexico for a little bit and uh working with uh, a new coach and uh he really improved my game a lot and uh yeah i got super elite um that year and then moved up to canada after mexico uh came back from mexico with a dog uh, my dog izzy she was a, a stray out there so um i brought her home with me and then um went up to canada and that next year was going to be the final year of supernova elite and uh, I was just burnt out. And uh, so we were living up in Niagara Falls and uh, I started playing a little two five at the casino again, playing live again, enjoying it. And um, then we moved down to Florida. My girlfriend had an internship down there um, and I played a bunch at uh, Hard Rock. We lived down there for six months. And, um, and that's when I kind of transitioned back again from online to live. And then from there, um, you're hitting all four corners of, uh, of North America. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always loved to travel part of, part of why I wanted to live this, 
this lifestyle, this poker lifestyle, is to have my freedom, be able be able to go wherever I want, be able to travel wherever I want. So it was nice to be able to do that in my twenties when I was single and just you know I lived in Costa Rica, lived in Mexico, uh, got to travel all around. So um, you know, did a trip to Europe, played uh, W Coop Maine from a hostel in Greece. Um, so yeah, that was it was a it was a cool thing to do in my twenties. I'm glad I did it. It was a great experience. All right, best best uh best experience living uh poker living experience. Oh, that's tough. You say so are you saying like specifically <laughs> when I was like traveling around cuz really my best Yeah, yeah. Was was, was okay. it the Rosarita uh crew or or um oh, you man. You were... oh, that's that's tough cuz like <laughs> I loved Costa Rica was was beautiful. Um I loved it. We were like in the rainforest. Um, as far as the scenery goes, I, I, I love that, but the people that I met in Rosarito, um, who are still some of my closest friends, uh, to this day, uh, and my dog, I mean, my, you know, my favorite dog I've ever had, um, you know, she's a stray living out <laughs> underneath the, an RV in, in our building. And, and she would, you know, we'd all, we'd all grind, um, and then we go we go to lunch and we all walk outside and there's this stray dog and she wouldn't let anyone near her except for me and I you know, I was eventually like I would you know she let me pet her and, and then I'd bring her like a can of beans and, and I'd feed her and I did this for about a month and then I was you know I decided I was going home from Mexico and uh, you know like a day before I left I said you know what I can't leave this dog so um, but yeah also some you know some of my best friends I met down in Rosarito um, the Las Olas crew down there. Um, some great people and just some really hardworking and talented poker players. Um, I was actually really inspired by uh, James Romero down there. He was, um, he roomed with a, a few of my friends and I was watching him play and how hard he was working and um, just really instilled like how hard you have to work at this game if you want to be competitive. And I mean, he was playing low stakes MTTs and just like every day he was like finishing first or second in some tournament for like 5k he was just constantly in profit constantly grinding working hard studying so um there were a few other guys down there that were that were also like super talented worked really hard and uh yeah i just kind of like kind of took that like almost like through osmosis like just kind of applied that to myself and my game and it, it really wound up uh you know kind of being everything uh later on in my career yeah, it's WPT champion James Romero uh, went on yeah. to win a Bellagio. So it looks like 2017 was kind of the breakout year live. Uh, you made a final table in New Orleans at a circuit event uh, that was pretty big. And then you went deep in the actual main event at the World Series for $176,000. What, what was that like? You finished 41st in the main event. Yeah. Was it, was was it bittersweet or was it were you ecstatic? Oh man, my head was spinning at that point. It, it, I felt drunk. Um, it was such an amazing experience. Um, I was, you know, I was so zoned in, so focused. And um, yeah, I was playing with Ben Lamb and uh, he opened, maybe cut off, something like that. And I peeled small blind with 9 uh, 8 suited, which um, at the time I had. Uh, some friends and coaches who said, you know, this is a pusher fold spot. I peeled off of like, I don't know, 30 ish bigs, I think, uh, nine, eight of diamonds. And uh, nowadays it's uh, certainly less clear. People are peeling in that spot a lot more. Um, but yeah, I, I peel there. I, 
uh, big blind folds. I flop a flush and Ben had a six off with the ace of diamonds. And we just like, uh, I don't remember the action, but we get it in and he just, uh, he turned the diamond. So um, kind of heartbreaking that, you know, that pot puts me in position to, to run deep. But at the same time, like it was such a blast. And um, yeah, just like when it ended, it just like, I don't know. It, it felt really surreal. My head was spinning. Uh, it was still like such a great score for me. I, I, I remember that day. I don't know. It was like, day, I'm assuming day six. Um, but I just remember watching the, the pay jumps go by and just, you know, we're playing on the feature table and our hands are kind of going slower than the other tables. And you just hear bust out after bust out and you're looking at the clock and it's like, whoa, there's another 20 K and there's another 30 K. And like, it was just massive money for me at the time. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah, this came a the, month after, uh, the 1500 that you finished runner up in. Yeah. Yeah. Against, uh, so this was obviously one friend. of those series that changed your life, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, this is actually, so I had started working with chip leader coaching. Um, I was a, a student, uh, chance was my coach. Uh, I, I got a little bit of coaching from Nick Petrangelo at the time as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just huge for my game. I was putting in a ton of work. I was, uh, by far the most active student in, um, in the entire group. Um, you know, you can do like analytics on, um, on discord who participates the most. It was like, I was like chatting more than any of the coaches. I was <laughs> asking all these questions. I was just like, I was so hungry. It was coming off of that, you know, that living in Mexico and like learning from those guys, that, like, this is what it takes. So I was super hungry to learn and study. Um, you know, it was really the first time, I mean, I, I had gotten coaching and I'd studied a bit, but this was the first time that I really prioritized studying. And like, um, you know, I was very fortunate to have people like chance, um, you know, in my corner and, and there to help me and, and give me the tools to, uh, to really study hard. And, um, yeah, that, that year was, yeah, it was fantastic. A second place finish, which was great, but also a little bit bittersweet. And then, yeah, the deep run in the main, same thing. Great, a little bittersweet, but, you know, uh, just a massive bankroll builder for me and, um, and just a, a great experience all around. You mentioned Chance. Uh, you're talking about Chance Corneth, who's got yeah. a few bracelets himself. You know, Chance has always been a guy who's always combined uh, the math and also the live feel of things. You had a tweet recently, um, let's see, in, back in November, you said that the absolute nut poker players are very well-studied nerds who also value live reads, psychology, and an understanding of human behavior in the moment. Um, is is that kind of what you're getting over a chip leader? Because I know you also do some some coaching for chip leader as well, right? Uh, yeah, I used to, I, I'm not with them anymore. They actually, uh, they only have one small team now. Um, they're, they're all still great friends of mine. I still, uh, you know, work with them a bit, study with them a bit, but, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not coaching for them anymore. Um, but yeah, so chance was just kind of my perfect coach because we thought about the game in the same way. I was always interested in the psychology and I was always kind of a field player and it, you know, it wasn't until I started like working hard online and getting some coaches that I really put some, um, some real work in with like, you know, theory and, and math and strategy. Um, but I, you know, I, I noticed a lot of like really, really good, like genius online players were getting live tell owned or they were just, 
you know, calling it off in spots where it's like, well, this, this guy clearly just always has it. He never has bluffs. Like, what are you doing? And so I, I was, I was always like really interested in sort of the other half of the game. Um, that tweet was in response to uh, Mike Mattis out tagging me. Mike was basically, you know, kind of <laughs> trashing the, uh, you know, the guys that work hard and, and study solvers uh, and say, you know, he said, you know, Ryan Lang had said something about this. Cause I, I, I do like, I've always appreciated, you know, guys like Phil Helmuth and Eric Seidel and Daniel, Daniel Negreanu who like have kept up with the game and they still have all these like great old school live tactics that I think get neglected these days. Um, and also just like some natural abilities, I guess Phil calls it white magic, but it, you know, it's, I do think it's, it's an understanding of human behavior, um, an understanding of psychology, uh, having empathy, being able to put, yourself and other people's shoes is actually really, really important um, to just kind of try and figure out what they're thinking in the moment, what they're trying to accomplish. Um, but I also wanted to make it very clear that uh, you cannot get away with just those skills anymore. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think a lot of people would know me as, as being like kind of like an exploit player, if you will. I actually don't like either of the terms exploit or GTO personally. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, you know, look, I, I do a lot of, like, funky stuff. I do a lot of, like, creative um, stuff. I, I Live tells are a big part of my game. But, like, let's not pretend that solver work isn't important or studying isn't important. I've spent hours and hours on solvers and, and um, you know, plugging in hands, going over hands with, with you know, better players than me, learning theory, um, so yeah, I think, uh, I definitely think you can neglect either side of, uh, of the game and, and the best players are like, you know, very well-rounded and, and work hard at both, both aspects of the game. Do you have a favorite live read moment in your career? Uh, yeah. So it was the, it was the main event that, um, that I got 41st in. So Day two, I think I came in with maybe starting stack, and there was a player at my table who uh, had all the chips. And he was this, like, loud, kind of like a home game hero type of guy. Like, knew what he was doing. Like, probably, you know, the kind of guy you'd expect to play, like, 2-5 and 5-10 and, you know, play some tournaments here and there, some 1Ks and stuff. Um, and he just had all the chips. And I had something like 20 bigs. Um, at one point, you know, I had lost some pots and, and, uh, it was, you know, starting to look like, you know, maybe I was going to bust on day two. And, um, all of a sudden I picked up a live tell on him in one hand that I was, I was really curious about. And then I watched him in another hand and there it was. And I sat there all day and we basically exchanged chip stacks over the course of, I don't know, three, four hours, maybe, maybe more, probably it was probably the whole day and I wound up busting him at the end of the night. And he just had this, like just this glaring tell where he would, if he was bluffing, he just gave you the hard stare. So he puts chips in and he gives you the hard stare. He's, you know, chest out trying to like, it's like if, a you know, like we do these natural animalistic things. Like we're, you know, we're not beyond our, our evolution. And it's like, you know, if you see like a, a chip in the zoo, trying to be dominant and they stick their chest out and you know they're just like a, this straightforward kind of tough posture well th this guy was doing that when he was bluffing yeah, what are they compensating for <laughs> yeah right and uh i mean in this instance it's compensating for not having a hand but exactly um, 
So he would, I mean, it was just so glaring. And I just sat there and just took his chips. And when he wouldn't do it, I would make very tight laydowns. And I would just, you know, I would not speculate in spots where maybe I should. It's just like, well, why would I take these close spots if I could just sit here and catch all his bluffs? Right. So it's just like, then you, this is kind of like a situation that I feel like a lot of like the best, uh, the, the most sound theory players maybe aren't going to do in a tournament like the main events because they're so used to playing these like super tough fields where they don't get these kind of situations. But when you have a, a, a spot like that, it's just so good. You've got to start passing on closer spots. You know, you don't want to be taking flips. Um, you want to be playing just the lowest variant style you could possibly play if you have this situation where you can just like sit back, wait for the crystal clear slam dunk. And um, so, yeah, that, that boosted me into day three with a lot of chips. And then uh, I also, <laughs> it was like a few days later, maybe day four, where it was kind of the same thing happened. Uh, this was versus Thomas Canuli and he had a, a, a glaring tell as well. And, um, Kind of a similar thing. He came in with a ton of chips and I just sat back and waited for good spots against him. And I mean, he's a great player, uh, but he, you know, uh, super aggressive and bluffs a lot. So if you're somebody who's super aggressive and bluffs a lot and you have a live tell, like you're, you know, you're going to be in trouble for somebody who spots it. So um, yeah, that basically just that main event was like where my, you know, probably the, the best tournament that I've had as far as like live tells mattering the most, you know, like it just two and days. It's probably just, the tournament, you know, every year where the, it's going to matter the most, right? Because yeah. you're not going to get as much in the high rollers anyway. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're going to so, get a lot of, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to, I was going to keep going. Go ahead. No, I, yeah. I mean, just in the, in the main, you're just going to get a lot of, uh, a lot of amateurs, a lot of home game, heroes who uh, don't know how to cover up their live tells, but even, even some of the best in the world have some live tells. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you, uh, I think live tells are, are very, very important. Um, but yeah, in a tournament like that, when like the bulk of the field is just, you know, can be really bad and really exploitable. If you can find these nice, easy spots and, and just cruise through a day, you just make life so much easier on yourself. And I mean, you, you can have just like a free day where you're just collecting chips because somebody has a a glaring live tell, or even it doesn't even have to just be a live tell, but let's just say somebody has like, you know, an aspect of their game that is, that is just really, really bad. And you can just sit back and uh, take low variant spots against them. Like if you can find those, if you're lucky enough to to get a table with, with that um, and you can find those players and find those spots, um, that tournament, you can just kind of cruise through, take your time with those two-hour levels. And, um, and yeah, I just think uh, the players that have those skills um, are probably the, uh, you know, have the highest ROI in, in the main event. You uh, had that close call for second place, but the next year you got some revenge. You won the bracelet with the 1500 uh, bounty event. Um, you also got a quarter of a million dollars with it. Was the bracelet something that you had on your bucket list or was this just, you know, something that came along with a, a ton of cash? Uh, no, I am a, so I have always been a sucker for the bracelet. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I chase bracelets. Um, I wanted to win bracelets when I was a kid. I 
dreamt of winning bracelets. Um, you know, there's all this talk about, you know, do they matter? Do they not? And, you know, are they being diluted? Um, you know, and they, they absolutely matter to me. Um, and I, I think it's important for poker to have it's sort of like one major series that's bigger than the rest uh, every year. And um, I do think that some things have diluted the bracelets, but then I go back and look at some of the, like the really old ones. Like I said, you know, earlier Doyle Brunson won a $600 mixed doubles event. And um, you know, I, I think that the WSOP could possibly make the mistake of, you know, continuing to dilute them. But I also think some of the adjustments that they've made during the, you know, the, the COVID period have just been, have just made sense having all these online bracelets and stuff. Um, I hope that they don't continue to dilute them because I think they need to matter for, um, for recreational players, for people who are interested in poker. It's, it's cool to have that the world series of poker bracelet that you dream to, to, to achieve you dream to get. So, um, yeah, I've always been a sucker for them. Um, and actually, so after I, uh, when I got second place, um, I, you know, I always had, you know, I would have in my office, I would have like little posters up, inspirational posters, whatever. Um, and, uh, I remember after that year, uh, in my office, I had a picture of, uh, Christopher Frank, the guy who beat me. Um, great guy, by the way. Huge fan, um, but I had, uh, the, his bracelet photo up on my wall, and underneath it a sign that says "Nobody cares, work fucking harder," and uh, <laughs> and, and so I just kind of used that to like inspire me. And yeah, I knew like like hey, you know, if I got second, I can win one of these. And then the next year I go and and I win one. So that was yeah, it was it was amazing for me. Definitely like a um, kind of a capstone moment uh, in my poker career. Was there a symbolic changing of the photo, or do you still keep him up there? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it, no, the photo came down. Um, I currently don't have any photos up right now. Um, but, yeah, the photos have always changed um, just based on, you know, if I feel like I'm being lazy, it'll be something that, you know, shut up and work hard kind of thing. But, um, yeah, that, that photo came down after that. <laughs> the the short-lived uh, reign of Christopher Frank. Um <laughs> Okay, so let's fast. I mean, you you're winning some uh, some circuit rings along the way, and then you mentioned one of those online bracelet events. Uh, you won one of those in 2020 for another 115 grand. Um, what what was it like to win a virtual bracelet? Uh, well, the virtual bracelet was this year. That was 2021. Um, the 2020 100. Yes, I was. I'm looking at the circuit. Yes, you have so many circuit uh, titles. I, I got them confused with the with the bracelet. Okay, yes, one thousand dollar freeze out. You won that one for almost the exact same amount of money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on my birthday, thanks. In uh, was it, that was on your birthday. Yeah, I know. I I have the worst birthday for poker. It's right well, in, in middle of July, so I'm always working on the main event uh, <laughs> during my birthday, but um. Yeah, your birthday you know. is uh, July thirteenth, then, because that is uh, my girlfriend's birthday, and this was a this was a really funny story. Um, and actually, so I I give my bracelets away. Uh, I gave my first one to my parents um, as a Christmas gift, just like as a you know a token of their support, like always supporting me through my poker career. Um, it was Nikki's birthday, 
the online WSOP is going on and she has always been so supportive. She was with me when I was playing $30 sit and goes on poker stars, like, you know, near broke. And she was never worried. She always saw potential in me and um, really helped me believe in myself. So um, it's her birthday and I've been grinding the online WSOP. And I said, Hey, you know, let's go out to dinner. I don't need to play tonight. And she was like, no, play on your phone. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to play on my phone. It's your birthday. We'll go out to dinner. I'm taking you out to dinner. We're going to, we'll go play Pago or something, have some fun, go have some drinks. Um, and she insisted that I play. So we go out to dinner and I'm playing on my phone and, you know, just running really well. <laughs> we're having conversation. I'm just like, click fold and, you know, and then we're chatting and stuff. Um, <laughs> And uh, so running really well. And then, you know, we go, we go over to Red Rock and she likes to play Pai Gao for like, like $5 a hand. She's, she's such a nit and, you know, she just wants to have a few drinks and, and play Pai Gao. And so like, she's, she, she gets on a Pai Gao table and uh, I give her a hundred bucks and I sit there on her iPad now and uh, finish it out. So I sat there for a few hours and I win it on her birthday, which I just thought was pretty cool like just the fact that she is insisting that i play on her birthday you know and like she would have every right to say like hey no it's my birthday like take the day off um and so it's just such a like just a really poetic um kind of like a poetic um like it's like poetic symbolism of, of like her support for me um throughout my entire poker career so i actually um she uh i, I just mailed it she, she's back home in Illinois right now uh, for Christmas with her family and um, she's going to get uh, my bracelets and a nice little note for me um, about uh, um, you know always supporting me and, and how you know I, I wouldn't be where I was if it wasn't for her so um, she's about to get that in uh, two days so well that's awesome yeah, yeah. Well, that's great we, we have the same birthday we also went to the same college uh, University of Florida believe it or not um, oh, nice. Go Gators. Um, so I always ask everybody, where do you keep your bracelets? I think you're, you already answered that question, right? You're going to keep giving them away. What about the yep. circuit rings? Do you have like a display for these anywhere? You have four of those, I, right? Uh, I think so. I don't, I, I honestly don't know how many circuit rings I have. Um, it's not that I don't value the circuit rings. It's just, yeah, I've played so many circuit events and like the bracelets are, you know what's huge to me uh i just looked over i have one on my desk right now 2019 <laughs> so I, ha I have at least one of them um i imagine they're here somewhere um i know i gave one of them away uh to a friend of mine um so yeah i i don't know maybe my mom has one i'm not sure but i have at least one here at the house let's talk about bracelet number three came this summer not this I keep saying summer. It was in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> this WSOP, yeah. This, we, we've all been doing that. Okay, this October, when we had a, a World Series for the first and last time ever, um, you won the eight-game mix. So all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're mixing it up and playing the, the non-Hold'em games and, and winning, huh? Yeah, so WSOP Player of the Year is my kind of my big long-term goal in tournaments. Um, and I knew if I wanted to compete for that, I would have to learn mixed games. So I put in a little bit of study prior to this year, but it was really just in the last like six or seven months that I 
well, I guess maybe more than that, but it, you know, maybe six months prior to WSOP that I actually really put in some, some serious study. And um, so I, you know, I did, um, I, I read uh, Dylan Lindy's book. Um, I did the upswing course, uh, Jacob Dalla, um, both of those fantastic. Um, lucky enough to be friends with some, some brilliant mixed game players, um, Oase, Ahmed and, um, and Benny uh, Glazier. So um, just being able to, just being friends with them, being able to like chat with them, send them hand histories. And then um, then Alan Kessler invited me to this little mixed game group that he has where they do these like poker stars home games and they're like super low stakes. And I started playing those a ton with the intention to experiment. Basically just play as, as aggressive as I possibly can, see what bluffs work in what games, um, figure out how to win chips without showdown. Um, and, you know, I certainly, I think I annoyed quite a few people along the way because, you know, <laughs> became, you know, I became the, uh, you know, the punty fish that runs well. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always kind of, uh, I've always uh, kind of gotten, kind of had that image and, and I love it. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I was def definitely that person in, in these mixed games uh on the in this poker stars group but it really helps you know just to like experiment and figure out what works what doesn't and then like go over some hand histories with some friends and you know they would tell me like the kind of mistakes i was making and i was able to uh do that right up until the world series and just kind of come into the world series very fresh uh with um you know mixed game all my mixed game stuff like uh, still fresh in my mind um i don't think i am anywhere near an expert in mixed games. Um, I think I do some stuff well in tournaments specifically, but uh, you know, I think me winning the the eight game tournament certainly doesn't uh, qualify me qualify me as like some you know mixed game guru by any means. I still consider myself to be uh, you know a noob, and, and I'm still constantly talking to better players and trying to uh, to improve my mixed game. Uh, strategy and ability a week later you finished second in the monster stack for 377k so now you got half a million dollars under your belt and you're you know in the running for player of the year what is your thought at this point just grind I, grind grind yeah now I'm, I'm so jacked at this point um uh it, it was rough that heads up match against uh michael nori um you know, I obviously like heads up and no limit hold him against like he's he's a mixed game player. So like heads up and no limit hold him against a mixed game player. Like I felt super confident. Um, the final table was just like I ran so pure and everything was going my way. And, um, you know, I really just kind of got it in my head that, OK, this is I'm going to win this bracelet. I'm going to be front runner for player of the year. Um, get second place. It's awesome. I mean, it was my biggest score at the time. It was bigger than my my win in the eight game. Um, and uh yeah now it's okay let's go like uh you know i'll take uh you know go to dinner if i want to sulk for like 30 minutes cool but there's tournaments tomorrow we gotta you know we gotta chase player of the year at this point and where is michael nori's photo in your house <laughs> <laughs> don't have one yet but that's actually <laughs> that's good i might have to i might have to put one up <laughs> All right, we got to talk about the runner-up finish of your summer. I mean, summer Oof. of your fall. 
the $50,000 Poker Players Championship. You say you're not a mixed game player, but you managed to get heads up in the mixed game event yeah. of the year. Uh, you know, puts almost $600,000 in your pocket. But, of course, there was some uh, there was some drama there, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Some, some jungle man I, drama. I Googled <laughs> – I just Googled your name just doing my research, and one of the first results was, is this the worst fold of all time? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that I, might be I a saw little that. Bit, you know, hyperbolic, but <laughs> – Yeah, that was, that was rough. Uh, so it's a really interesting spot. Um, and first of all, let me, let me just, you know, kind of explain, like even playing that 50 K I, that was, it was like a five-year goal for me starting like eight months ago. And so I was playing the, uh, I think it's a 2,509 game, which is, you know, it's the same tournament as the 50 K just, you know, 2,500 and, you know, a quicker structure. So I was playing that and chatting with Oase. And he's like, dude, you should play the 50K. Like, you won the eight game, like, sell action. And I, I like, I don't really sell action very often. If I do, it's it's going to be in spots where it's, like, higher buy-ins than I'm used to playing and tournaments that I think, you know, maybe my edge isn't that huge. And I really don't like – it's just, like, such a pain to, like, have, you know, 10 people buy your action. You've got to do all this accounting. I can't stand doing accounting. Um you know, you're going to have to transfer money. You're going to have to make sure everyone transfers you money. I'm just, I'm not a fan of it. Um, and so Oasis was trying to convince me and I was like, I was on the fence and I decided, okay, fine. I'll, I'll put a tweet out, but like, I'm not going to sell to the 50 K it's the poker players championship. There's no way I sell out. I put a tweet out and I sell out in like 20 minutes. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> once that happened, I was, I got nervous. I was playing the nine game and like my stomach kind of dropped. I'm like, Whoa, the 50 K is two days i've never played a 25k let alone a 50k and this is it's not a 50k no limit where you know i know where i have confidence in like every spot i'm playing games that i'm still very new at i so i was so nervous i thought okay this will be an amazing experience hopefully i can you know cash somehow and then just to i don't know i feel like i learned more about mixed games in those you know four or five days, whatever it was playing that tournament with, the, you know, the best in the world that I had in all my days leading up to it. It was a surreal experience. I, I, I played my heart out. I bluffed my balls off. Um, it, I mean, I had, I don't know. I played my best. I had so much fun. I obviously ran well to get there. And then, uh, yeah, by the time I was, you know, three handed with, with Paul Vopi and, and jungle man, I was just, I mean, my head was spinning. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was exhausted, like mentally fatigued. Um, because like in Nolan Hold'em, I can just kind of run through the motion. Like in this game, in, in these games, like every single hand, I'm like constantly guessing. I'm constantly trying to figure out like, wait, was this a mistake? Like, what should I do here? And it was just like, it was so much tougher on me. And um, yeah, the Jungle Man hand, I honestly don't even re remember what happened up until the river. I know I checked the flop. Um, someone told me I checked the turn as well. I don't know if I bet or checked the turn. I don't remember. I just remember I bet the river. Um, so wait, let, like, let me real quick uh, set it up for the listeners who may not have seen it. Uh, this is three-handed. You're playing limit hold'em. Yeah. Uh, you raise ace five. He defends with king queen, and it comes ace jack seven. You check. No, no. Uh, I believe he leads into you, and you call. 
the term was a nine to win check check. He rivers a king, so he's got second pair. You have an ace, uh, obviously for top pair. You bet it, and he raises all in for only half a bet more. Yeah. Really an orthodox line being taken by Check. Leng here, inducing jungle Check. to take initiative. He took his one shot on the flop for a small bet, does not Check. fire Check. in position on the river, and now jungle wow. has hit the king, and Leng comes out swinging. All in. Raise all in. How much is it? I mean, I'm never good here. Wow, it's Would you make, like kings more? and sevens or something? Nine. A jungle just thinks he has the best nine, hand with a king here. Oh my gosh. So sick, because I'm never good, but like, how can I ever... Is Ryan oh. really thinking of folding after taking this unorthodox line? It's only 300,000 more to call. He's getting 11 to I 1. Save one bet. Crazy. 8.5. All he has to do is click call, getting an insane price here, bet. Chris. And jungle's done. Yeah, and jungle thinks he has the nuts with King Queen the way this hand was played. He, this is crazy. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> Let me get on the table this one. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. Jungle can't believe wow. it. What just happened? So, right. in this moment, so when I bet it was 600, and I bet in a way where it was, so they're all 100K chips, and I bet three and three. So, like, there's three chips and three chips. That's my 600 bet. He goes all in. And the way I, like, view the chips, I see, like, three, three, and three. And like it's an I and I, I like in my head he has one full extra bet. Now still I mean arguably still like of an easy call if you talk to some people. Um, I will say that there were multiple top level mixed game players who hit me up in DMs. Um, some of them maybe just trying to make me feel better. Um, but one of them I know wasn't trying to make me feel better because he told me I played every other street terribly. Um, and it, was Sean, Sean, it was Sean Deeb. And he told me that the, the fold was like really, really good. And that it's like, like an above the rim fold that people aren't making and that jungle should never have worse for value and can never be bluffing. And that was my thought in the moment. And one of the things that I've like really struggled with in these mixed games, the limit ones is like saving bets. And this is more so a stud thing. Like just, trying to figure out when to save one bet here or there. And in my mind at the time, I just thought, okay, this is going to, like, he's got me beat here. He has two pair. Like, he shouldn't ever be shoving just a king. And, like, how could he ever be bluffing here? And I just thought, I could call it off and just, like, it, it felt, like, lazy to just, like, oh, sigh, call, I guess I lose. I wanted to, like... I just thought in my head, like, no, don't like be perfect. Be make the crazy hero fold. And, um, and yeah, he was, and he had, he had King queen. And, uh, but you know, like I, again, like so, some great players have said that it was actually a fantastic fold. Other players said it's a small mistake. Um, plenty of people saying it's the worst fold of all time. I don't think <laughs> they know what they're talking about, but if it is, that's cool. Um, none of it really bothers me. Um, like I'm super proud to have gotten there in the first place. Um, I very easily could have just called there, won that hand, and I'm heads up with Paul Volpe, who's going to beat me 60, 65% of the time heads up anyways, because he's so much better at those games than me. Um, 
So I may have had the same result. Maybe not. Maybe I win the tournament if I call there. But um, you can't do that with poker. You just move on and learn from it. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I you know I still uh, I still tried to put up a fight heads up. I made some more mistakes after that heads up against Jungle, including a no limit hand where I let him bluff me again. And um, I mean, I got bluffed by Jungle on the day before the final table as well in a really big pot. Jungle's I mean, Jungle is Jungle. He's one of the best. He's like, he's got to be like, like a 160 IQ or more, right? He's like, he's absolutely, he's a genius. He's a brilliant poker player. We all know he's like out there and a goofball, but I got wrecked by Jungle and I have, I feel no shame in that whatsoever. Uh, so maybe it's Jungle Man's picture who needs to go up on my wall. But uh, all I know <laughs> is, uh, you know, if I keep working hard at poker and I decide to keep doing this for a living, um, that I will, uh, I'll be ready for him next time and I'll give him help. Well, that's the right attitude to have. And, and people are forgetting the other side of this, which is to examine jungles play, which is crazy by the yeah. way. Uh, yeah. he's essentially throwing away. I mean, he probably has to maybe call your river bet and, but he has to save that half bet just in case. Yeah. And I think most people would agree. So he, he escaped criticism just because it happened to work out in this spot. But, um, yeah, that's the right attitude. Obviously, you know, great result for you. Uh, you went on uh, to cash in the other 50K in the, the No Limit Hold'em one for another 150000 or so. You know, $1.3 million for the series. You didn't win Player of the Year. You finished seventh. Um, but you're right there, right? So Yeah. That's yeah, I, mean, I, I, was, I was in the race the whole time up until the the last 5k. Um, Josh Arie just, I mean, he just put us all in the blender there. Like he he busted the the 50k, um, just shy. I think he was. I think he got sixth. So I think he was the last one to not be on yeah, the, yeah. the five handed uh, feature table. And then he goes and hops in. Uh, I think it was 10k triple draw. 10k. 10k PLO8. Oh PLO8. Okay, yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and then, you know, we have a day off and the following day we're at the, the feature final table. He's over at the other final table and he winds up winning it. <laughs> and it's like, you gotta have so much heart. Cause I know that 50 K meant the world to Josh. And I know he was bummed to, to bust in that spot. And, um, that's like, it's, it's one thing that like, I'm really proud of with, with my game. And I, um, maybe not my game, but my, you know, my ability to just like fight through um, pain. And, and Josh did exactly that. You know, he could have gone and sulked. He could have taken a day or two and just been bummed that he got sixth in the 50 K and he could have done better. No, he hops right in the PLO eight brings his best and wins it. And that's like, you got to love that. And that's what it takes to win player of the year. That's what these guys do. These, you know, guys like Sean Deeb and, um, you know, Negranu, who just like they're constantly in the running for player of the year every year. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool to see. It's 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 pretty inspiring. So um, it's something that I, I want to do. And I feel like I've put myself in position to have a chance every year if I if I go for it. Do you have a bracelet goal in mind? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, I mean, I, I want to keep winning bracelets, but I don't know if I'm going to play poker for the rest of my life. If, I mean, there's a chance I don't play a hand of, of poker this next WSOP. Um, I'm interested in other things. I usually take my, you know, six months off or so um, to experiment with other stuff. And 
you know, if something sticks, if I wind up choosing another uh, career path or life path, um, I could, I could become just kind of a rec player and that would be cool. I would love to be like a recreational whale who used to be really good at poker. <laughs> um, so, you know, who knows, but if I keep playing, I want to keep winning bracelets. We have some rapid fire questions uh, to close things off. Are you ready? Awesome. Let's see here. Uh, you mentioned your dog that you found in Mexico and uh, your screen name on WSOP is adopt a doggo. So yep. obviously you're you're very uh, dog friendly. How many dogs you got? What are their names? Are you gonna brag a little bit? All right, we currently have four dogs. Uh, we have Izzy. She's the stray from Mexico. She's like um, uh, she's a black um, uh, what what kind of retriever? A flat coated retriever. So she basically looks like a black golden retriever. Um, we have Khaleesi, who is a Chihuahua. We found her in Florida, running down the street. Um, tried to find her owners. We brought her to a shelter and the shelter said they were 99% uh, full at, you know, it's the holidays and, you know, they, they may have to put dogs down. And so we said, well, screw that. We'll hang on to her. We'll try to find her home, try to find her owner. Never happened. So she, she wound up staying with us. Um, we have Buddy who was uh, Craig Varnell's girlfriend's father's dog and her father passed away and he needed a home. So we brought him in and we just assumed we'd find him a home, but no, he was another foster fail. He just, we loved him too much. Uh, and then uh, Charlie, who is my favorite. I mean, I hate to say favorite because like Izzy is also one of my favorites, but I mean, Charlie is a, <laughs> Charlie is a blind uh, border collie Corgi mix. He was born blind. So, you know, he doesn't know that, sight is a thing that exists it's not like a human where you get to explain hey you're blind like so this dog is just he's amazing um he's like he's so he's so brilliant he's so smart we can bring him to an airbnb and within like an hour he has the whole layout mapped out in his mind um he's incredible he's my you know my best pal so um yeah those are my my four dogs and we uh, we foster sometimes and uh yeah, I mean, we'll we'll just always have dogs. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, all right, let's get into some of these questions here. What about uh, your favorite your favorite uh, win? Do you have one? My favorite win. Wow. Uh, it's got to be the first bracelet. Yeah, it was, they, yeah, the first bracelet was amazing. My mom was in Phoenix at the time, so she drove out. She got to be there. Um, Nikki was there. Her mom was there. Um, it, yeah, it was amazing. Definitely the first bracelet. Uh, what about the biggest pot you've ever won or lost? Your choice. Well, I don't play a lot of cash games, so it's kind of hard to tell. Um, maybe that pot with Ben Lamb in the main event, that was a ton of equity because I just I feel like if I, if I double up there and I have like 50 bigs with 41 left, I think I can really run deep. So maybe... Uh, I mean, maybe that one, otherwise it's gotta be the jungle man one, right? Like the, the amount of EV that I lost, uh, when I made that fold. Yeah. It's gotta be the jungle man. Hand. It's gotta be the, the biggest, uh, EV pot that I've lost. What about the best swap or piece you've ever had of anybody? Oh man. I run so bad in buying and <laughs> swapping. Like so many, all my friends have these, like, you know, I have some friends whose like poker careers took off because they had 10% of someone who won something huge. I pay out 
a lot more. Although I really, I don't, I don't like swapping. So I had one long-term swap that I, I wound up canceling. Um, uh, so like swaps are very, very rare for me. Um, I, I just hate giving up pieces myself. I'd rather buy pieces of players. Um, and so I did swap in the, the main event this year with uh, only three players. Um, Michael Trivet, who um, I kind of coach a little bit and, you know, we studied together and um, so circuit winner. Yep. And, uh, and he's a hell of a mixed game player too. So like he's, he's a POI threat. Um, if he, you know, if he keeps putting in some work, he's been working really hard. Um, so I swapped 1% with him, 1% with Dylan Lindy. And, um, I couldn't pass up chance, but chance hit me up and, uh, asked to swap. He's just someone that like, I mean, he's too good. He's, he's like one of those players that has to have one of the highest ROIs going into the main event. Um, and yeah, so he finished, I don't know, what do you get like 15th or something this year and i i have one percent um and i so he paid me like 3300 i think that was my biggest swap of all time wow people are not coming through for you no no and I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm going to pay uh you know 13k to a buddy in a couple days um from all the you know he, he bought pieces of both the 50ks so uh yeah, yeah. i definitely paid out way more than i've uh, than i've collected all right. What about um, we we did the job one. What was your largest non poker wager? Largest non poker wager. Oh, this is uh, I don't. You mentioned Pygao. I, I don't know I don't how high. Oh no, no <laughs> Pygao. Pygao is like Nikki and her mom like to play table games. So like when her mom comes out to visit, she she went. She'll stay for like a month with us. She loves Vegas. Um, they'll play blackjack and Pygao. Um, I don't. I don't gamble much on the side. I'm trying to think if I've had any like fun prop bets, but they're, I don't think I've ever had any huge prop bets. I had one, uh, if anyone's been paying attention to Twitter, I had one in the works that, that fell through. I was going to do an IQ prop bet with somebody, but uh, I, you know, I'm not going to name that person. Um, I don't want to start any drama or anything. Um, but yeah, that one could have been for a lot. So like, I don't know if I find a really good spot in a prop bet, I'll take it. Um, Otherwise, like it's probably like a future in in sports betting. So maybe maybe like I don't wait. Is this a loss or or a win or or either? I forgot. Anything. Yeah, probably. I, I would say I would say like 10k, like hitting like a big parlay or a big future in sports. And I don't even really bet sports anymore. So um, I think I'm lifetime winner, which is insane because I'm definitely minus EV, but just like a you know low sample size. And, um, yeah, I'm just not, I, I get the same thrill when I lose, like when my fantasy football team loses and it's like a hundred dollar league as, as I would, if I lost like a thousand bucks on a game. So like, I just don't see, I don't see any reason why I should be doing it. Like I'm not a sharp, I'm, I'm, this is, it's not a profitable endeavor for me. So I don't really get anything out of it. That's smart. Cool. While you're ahead. Uh, if you could pick the entertainment for the Super Bowl halftime show, what would you choose? Ooh. Oh, Kendrick Lamar. He, he's, okay. We keep, we keep hearing that he's got a new album coming out. Um, yeah, let's let's hear some new Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> uh, who is your celebrity doppelganger? Do you, celebrity. Have, do you have somebody that people tell you you look like? 
Or maybe uh, growing up, did you look like somebody? Not growing up. Um, I, I got to Google this guy. I don't know who he is. Um, what was the show? It's called. I, I had a, a friend who watched the show and said, um, you look like this guy. And, and it was true. Uh, I, I did have <laughs> some, some girls in high school used to say I, I look like Ross from Friends. I didn't appreciate that. Um, all right, let me David find Schwimmer. This, this yeah, was pre-beard. I'm, I'm going to pass on, <laughs> on that one. Yeah, pre-beard. Uh, okay, Greg Grunberg. Um, I really know who the that show, is. He's from the show Heroes. Uh, I don't know. I, apparently, I yeah, he's, like um, he's like best friends with J.J. Abrams, and oh. he's always a... He's a he's always appearing in those projects and stuff. I think he was um, I think he was one of the Star Wars um, pilots. Oh yeah, yeah. maybe I see him, I see him here in, in some Star Wars get up. Yeah, so I, I haven't seen a whole lot of his work, but yeah, I, I can see the resemblance. I think I, I remember seeing him in Felicity back in the day. Maybe I was wrong about that. I might be getting mixed up with a different guy. Anyway, Greg, I want to uh, Google him real quick with a beard. <laughs> yeah, I see Felicity shows up, so I have no idea what Felicity is, but yeah, you're right about that. You know, I uh, I had I had an angsty teenage uh, <laughs> time watching that show. Yeah, I could see it with the beard for sure. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah. When he's got the hair going. Yeah. Greg Grunberg, okay. Um, okay. What are you interested in that most people aren't? Hmm. That most people aren't? I mean, I'm interested in a few things that most people are. Like, I'm really interested in film. I'd like to get into film, but, you know, everyone's interested in film. Um, well, I got my Rubik's Cube right here. Um, I, I used to, like, do some, like, speed cubing with my Rubik's Cube. Um, just try and uh, solve it as fast as uh, as you can. My goal is to get under like one minute or so. Um, that was a, a nerdy little thing that I like to do. Uh, I like board games. Um, play a bunch of board games with my friends every week. Um, that Rubik's Cube thing, I mean, you said that so casually. Like, yeah, I just try to get under a minute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it can sound like, oh, wow, like that's, that's really cool. Um, we're actually, so like Nikki and I are um, – we are going to be buying a house soon. And uh, Karina Jett is our real estate agent. She's showing us around. And we were at a house, and I, I said, so, I saw a Rubik's Cube. I said, oh, you know, should I solve it for the kid? That would be funny. And she started talking about her kid. Her eight-year-old kid, I think her eight-year-old son, can solve a Rubik's Cube in under a minute. That's incredible. <laughs> like This is uh, nuts. Karina and Chip Jett, who are both yeah. uh, pro poker players. And uh, real estate agents, apparently. Um, let's see here. Are you superstitious at all? No. Um, no. In general, I, you know, I, I, I really don't believe in anything uh, sort of superstitious or um, kind of metaphysical, anything like that. But um, you know, my family. We're, they're all we're all like Boston sports fans, um, and then playing hockey. We used to have like little things where it was like, oh, you got to do, you know, you you do the same thing because we won the last game or whatever. So like I've participated in like fun stuff like that. Um, you know, our hockey team like we weren't changing our boxers for like months when we went on this crazy winning streak or like you know not shaving or stuff like that. 
but I certainly don't believe in anything like that. And I, I think it can actually be kind of a hindrance. Uh, can keep you from like considering what really matters, especially if you're doing it in poker. Like, you know, if you're focused on doing the same thing you did, wearing the same thing, eating the same thing, uh, because you won a tournament rather than like figuring out what you did right in that tournament and, and working on your game. Uh, I think it's, it's just a distraction. So, uh, no, in general, I'd say no. I'm not sure if this applies to you as a tournament player, but I guess maybe back in your Supernova Elite days, your longest session? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so I'm a procrastinator, and um, two of the years that I got Supernova Elite, um, I had to get the bulk of my VPPs in the final two months, November, December. Um, and... I mean, one year I did half of my VPPs in November and December, and the games are super tough then because all the Supernova Elites are finishing out. Uh, so it's just like way more regs. And um, so I played the month of December. Every The minimum, the, like the, the, the minimum amount of hours that I played per day was 12. Every single day for like 30 days straight. Um, Played on Christmas, played on New Year's Eve, um, and I think one of those days I wound up playing like 16 straight hours so that I could be done a few hours early and go party on, on New Year's Eve. So I'd say 16 hours of, you know, like 20 tabling sit and goes. That was just pure hell. That sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like the worst month ever, but yeah. you got it done. Uh, do you use any movie quotes on a regular basis? Uh, no, I, when we were kids, we always used to quote uh, like old school and stuff. Um, I love I love film, uh, so I will quote movies when something applies. But like off the top of my head, I don't have any like you know any regular quotes that I use all the time. But if something applies, in uh, you know if I if I can make a point with something or if I can make somebody laugh with the right movie quote. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm constantly using them, but just I don't have any specifics. Could you name a favorite movie, or is that impossible? Oh, we could talk for an hour about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you got to catch me in certain moods. Uh, I mean, I, I, I go on I, I mean, I so many different lists. I mean, off the top of my head, I'll say the Royal Tenenbaums right now, but I'm in kind of a Wes Anderson mood, so... Um, I don't know. Children of later, men. Huh? Yeah, if I'm in kind of a dark mood, Children of Men. Um, yeah, I don't, there's so many. What about a gambling movie? Do you have a favorite gambling movie? I am not a fan of most gambling movies. I like. I would love to write a really good poker movie. Um, that's actually kind of a long-term pipe dream goal of mine. Um, I do have. Um, a fictional piece of work that I have started writing. Um, you know, I've got it in final draft here on my computer that, you know, hopefully one day, uh, you know, that could come to fruition, but um, no, I mean, I, I don't like rounders. Um, I, I think they're, I think most of the gambling movies are like super cheesy. Uh, I just watched lock stock and two smoking barrels again for the first time in a long time. I don't know if you count that as a, as oh, a gambling yeah. movie. And they, they play poker in the beginning. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give that one just because I mean, that's a fantastic film. Super funny. 
Yeah, Guy Ritchie. Look, that's a good pick. Um, we end the podcast the same way every time with a question from the random question generator. Okay. Here we go. Do you sing when you're alone? And if so, what are you singing? Wow. Uh, not often, but I will name a funny time when I did. So um, I went to Japan right before COVID hit. Um, I was <laughs> uh, – you have time for kind of the long side of the story? Or yeah, let's go for it. Go for it. All right. So so my dad uh, was a United Airlines pilot. He just uh, just retired. So I, I flew for free. I was trying to go to the Aussie Millions. And, you know, so I got you know, 20K in my backpack and I'm heading out to Australia to go play the, the Aussie Millions main and a couple side events. And because of the fires, uh, the planes had to carry extra gas in case they had to divert when they got into um, to, uh, to Australia, um, when they got into Melbourne. And um, so they weren't taking standbys on. So I sat there for like, I sat at LAX for like two days trying to get on a flight. And I never got on a flight. And so, like, I had a lot of this time for, like, two weeks where, you know, Nikki was like, yeah, go for two weeks. I got the dogs. Um, and so I called my dad. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm not going to get out to Australia, but, like, I want to travel if I, you know, I might as well, right? What what flights are open? He's like, let me look. I'll call you back. Calls me back in, like, 20 minutes. He's like, Osaka, tomorrow at 9 a.m., wide open. So I fly first class to Osaka. I start Googling, mm-hmm. like, phrases in japan um uh biru kurasai a beer please uh was the first (laughs) uh phrase i learned um and so i just kind of like backpacked through japan for a couple of weeks um and dylan lindy was on his honeymoon at the same time and they had they had done tokyo when i was in osaka i got up to tokyo and i asked him like hey where should i go and he told me uh shinjuku uh and it's where you know it's where the all the, you know, the awesome bars and like parties are at. And so like, I went to this, like, uh, I forget what it's called. It's like robot show. And they're playing like a, a Beatles song. And, um, I wind up, my phone dies. I get hammered in these bars in Shinjuku. I have an awesome time. But then I realize I have no idea how to get back to my Airbnb. Like, I don't know where I am. I'm hammered. I have no cell phone. So I just started walking. And all I, all I knew was my train station. Uh, and I knew if I could find the train station that I'd be able to find the Airbnb. I remember the street and where it was, it was close. And the, the train station was called Okobo. So um, I'm just walking around hammered and I, I walk by someone to say Okobo. And they just look at me like I'm some crazy American idiot. And um, <laughs> finally I found one person who, uh, pointed me oh that you know it's it's that way so i went that way and i would i did that for, you know several times just trying to find the right direction and i wound up just walking by myself drunk singing um the the, the beatles song um which one was it it's um in my life so i'm singing the beatles in my <laughs> life kind of loudly because I'm walking down these streets in Japan. I don't, I don't know if it's safe or not. I mean, it was, but you know, I'm just like kind of singing loudly, just making sure I'm heard. I don't want to like sneak up on someone, scare them. Like, so I'm just singing loudly, just drunk, stumbling my way, trying to find my train station. And I find this, this drunk Japanese guy comes up to me 
puts his arm around me, starts singing with me, and helps me get to my train station. I find my train station. He wants to, he wants to like, he's like, oh, come to the bar. Come to the, no, no, I got, I got to go home. <laughs> so like, yeah, I just, I sang that song by myself walking through streets in Tokyo. So that's a, yeah, that's, no, nobody's gonna, it. nobody's gonna mug the guy singing Beatles songs, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So you helped that guy. You helped that guy find his way home. <laughs> All right, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing the stories. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. That's it. That is the show. Thanks again to Ryan uh, for not only sharing the stories, but also for reliving that brutal hand against Jungle Man again. You can follow him on Twitter at RyanLang9. And if you are considering getting a dog, you should be like Ryan and adopt one. You can also follow us on Twitter at CardPlayerMedia and also at Poker underscore Stories. Don't forget to subscribe and please do us a favor by giving us a five-star rating and review. Let us know you did so with an email to PokerStories at CardPlayer.com and we'll hook you up with a free digital subscription to CardPlayer Magazine. Thanks for listening.